Well, welcome, everybody. I love that new song. It's great. What I love the most about it is you guys, because you're like, we'll clap or we'll sing. We will not do both. Hey, there's just limits to our involvement. <laughs> you choose band, which you will have us to participate in. So I love it. Anyways, welcome to Grace. It's good to have you guys. Welcome, everybody watching online. Good to have you with us as well. And uh, we're starting a new series this weekend that I am super excited about uh, called Assume I Know Nothing. And I think this is going to be a phenomenal conversation over the next few weeks and really over the next few months if you kind of stick with it. I, I believe that what we're going to kind of cover and talk about, the ground we're going to kind of cover over this, uh, this next semester here at Grace uh, can be life-changing and life-transformational for you. So if you're, a, if you're a person who has said, you know what, I, I, I need to like wrap my head around this Bible thing. Like I've been saying it forever and I've gone to church on and off and read a, you know, read a book here or there or whatever and, and I need to like wrap my head around it. This next semester here at Grace from now until about May, it, that I really believe that if you will lock in with us, and there's about three different conversations that we're going to have through that time, series that we're going to do, but if you'll lock in with us, I believe that we can help you fill in all those blanks that maybe you've been looking for. That's why I believe it'll be a, a life-transforming thing, if that's you. Uh, if you ha didn't grow up in church at all and don't know much about the Bible or what it means to follow God, but, you know, just kind of like are, are open to it, same thing. I think this can be a life transformational thing for you. If you grew up in church and you were told what to do, but you never understood why you do it, and, and what's the whys behind, and where did that even come from? You know, I, just, I, just, I don't know. I go to church. It's the weekend. It's what I do, and I trust the Bible over other things. It's what I do. Then this will, again, it's so fill in those blanks. So, so what we'll do over this time is we'll kind of take all those cards and, and lay them out and explain them and put them on the table. And then how you play them is, is your business, of course, right? We don't tell really people what to do here. So you're going to play those cards however you want to. But if you feel like I've, I've never really had them, like from A to Z, uh, and, and I wonder what those are, that's what we're going to try to do, kind of in a linear fashion, just A to Z, lay those things out. Um, so that you can, you can get your head around it and, and go for it. So I think it's going to be a great thing. I think it's going to be a perfect opportunity to do this. And, our, and this is where we're going to come from. We're going to assume you know nothing, okay? So everything I talk about, nothing is meant to be patronizing or, and I'm really not trying to be argumentative. I'm not trying to prove other faiths wrong, nothing like that. Uh, I just think of it this way. If you walked in and you had no exposure to the Bible, you've never been to church, you, you've had kind of no exposure to the Christian subculture and the thoughts behind it, and, and you just were a total blank slate, where would we start that conversation with? And that's really what inspired this, this whole series. I was talking to a friend, and uh, they, they called me one time because they were having some life problems. And when, when you're a pastor, that's what happens. Like people have a life problem, they call you and you sit down with them and you're like, hey, Jeff, forgive me, pastor, I have sinned. Here's all my problems. That's just kind of the way it works. That's why when I'm on an airplane, I never tell people what I do for a living because it's, they're like, what do you do? I'm in business. What do you do? I'm a pastor. Forgive me, pastor, I have sinned. Here's all my life problems. So I, was, I, was, I always tell them I, I'm in dogs. <laughs> I work with dogs, right? So, so the, the, that's what happened as I was talking to a friend. They're like, here's my life problem. Of course, I wanted to hang out with them because I care about them. And, and I started to give them answers to their life problems, but from the Bible. And that's what they were asking. They're like, what do, you, what do you teach over there? We know that you're religious somehow. What do you say? So I started giving them answers. And as I looked at them, 
you ever look at a person and you know like it's just not connecting? And so I, I finally kind of stopped and I said, hey, I said, um, do you have any idea how the Bible works? I'm not trying to be patronizing, I'm just kind of like asking, like, do you have any idea how it works? And they said, not really. And I said, well, do you know like the difference between the Old Testament and the New Testament? Because that was part of our conversation. They, were go, they said, no, I don't, what's a testament? I don't know what you're talking about. And I, I said, oh, I said, and I kept apologizing. I kept saying, I don't want to be patronizing. I'm not trying to insult your intelligence. And they, my friend finally stopped me and, and said, listen, they go, Jeff, just assume I know nothing. Like, I don't know anything. So don't worry about hurting my feelings. Just explain it from scratch because I don't know what you're talking about. And they really let me off the hook there. And, and so that's what I started to do, talking to them because they never had been to church. They were a spiritual person. They're not anti-God, a spiritual person, but really had no foundation which to work off of. And so that's the assumption we're gonna make with everybody this, this series. And if you do know some things, some stuff you're gonna be like, I know that. Like, a lot of stuff you probably don't. And then a lot of it, for those of you who know all the, the jargon and the lingo, a lot of times we don't know the whys. We just know what we're supposed to do. Or we don't know why we're supposed to do it. And over the course of this series, Assume I Know Nothing, and then our next series is called Five Assumptions About God and Why They're Wrong. And then there's another series like uh, after that that's going to be around the Easter time. If you will lock in for that semester, all those cards will be put on the table, and I think it can be a life-changing thing for you, Okay. So we'll, uh, we'll start this week with this, with this idea, assume I know nothing. Now, if I was going to start talking to you about Jesus, if, if you were looking for Jesus or trying to understand God, if I assumed you know nothing, we actually wouldn't start with Jesus. We would actually start with the Bible, okay? So when you're talking to somebody about God or, or you're trying to look for God, it actually isn't God that you start with or Jesus that you start with. It all kind of mixes together, of course, the conversation. But to really get your head around something, you actually have to start with the Bible because it's from the Bible that we get our understanding of God. Christians do. It's from the Bible that we're exposed to Jesus. It's even from the Bible that we learn about things like Christmas and Easter and the resurrection of Christ. So, so the Bible is actually the foundational conversation that you start with if you were assuming that someone absolutely knew nothing. So I wanna talk with you about the Bible a little bit this weekend and, and talk to you about what interacting with the Bible actually boils down to, we'll boil it down to like a bottom line. So what's the Bible? Here's a Bible, I got one. If you don't have a printed copy, there's some there in the chairs, you can look at those. In fact, if you don't own one, you can just have it. Just take it with you, write your name in it. If you uh, use your phone or something like that, just open, uh, open your phone up, get off Facebook, get off Snapchat real quick. And uh, I know what you look at while I'm talking. I'm not dumb, right? I'm teenagers. And so, right, so just uh, open up to the, either the Grace Church app or to YouVersion, all right? Look at that. And this is what the Bible is. So the Bible is all over the internet. You can find it anywhere because the Bible is the most published book in the history of humanity. The Bible is the most widely read book in the history of humanity. The, the Bible is the best-selling book in the history of humanity. The Bible is the best-selling book in the, in the world right now, right? So the Bible, the Bible has not lost any steam 
at all. So that's why the Bible is, in many ways, pretty easy to access, especially with the advent of the internet, okay? So look at it real quick. So what is the Bible? The word Bible is just, all the the word Bible means is the, the, the book. It's the Greek word for the book. Bible is Greek for book. It's all that it is. So the Bible means the book. In fact, sometimes here at Grace, you'll hear me say, you'll hear me call it the book. And I'll say like, it's in the book or the book says, and I'm just talking about the Bible, okay? So the Bible means the book. The Bible is actually a collection of many books, right? So within the Bible, within what we call the Bible, is actually 66 different books. And those books are collected over time. And there's a whole process that uh, we believe that the God, has, God has preserved it, and we believe that the church elders have, have uh, filtered that over time correctly. It's a whole canonization process. You can look that up on the internet and understand that if you want to, okay? So there's 66 of those books throughout the course of the Bible. Those books generally are either named after the person who wrote them or named after the people they were written to. That's the general place of where the names of the books of the Bible come from, and then there's some exceptions throughout that, okay? Those books are broken into two sections. The Old Testament is the first part of the Bible. It's the oldest part of the Bible. The New Testament is the newest part of the Bible. The parts of the Old Testament are probably five to 7,000 years old. Parts of the New Testament, the New Testament is generally about 2,000 years old, kind of around when Jesus was on earth before he went back to heaven, okay? In the Old Testament, there's three big things you need to know about the Old Testament. This is what you find in the Old Testament. First thing is this. In the Old Testament, you find human origin. So you find out about our creation and, and uh, how we came to be. That's a very important thing because the creator has authority over his creation. So it's a big theme throughout the Bible. In that, you also find about human worth through our creator. So we're created in the image of God. We're not uh, evolved from monkeys. We're not accidents of nature. We were created with intelligent design on purpose for a reason, right? So human origin. The other thing that you find in the Old Testament that's real important is you start finding out about the nation of Israel. So the Jewish people, same Jewish people who are alive and well today, same Israel that exists today, right? That, is a, that, that group of people, the Bible says that God has a special relationship with them. And Christianity can only be understood through Judaism. Jesus was a Jewish teacher, so the more that we understand about the nation of Israel, the more we understand about Judaism, the more we understand about Christianity. So most of the Old Testament is about the Jewish nation, Israel. That's the second thing. Third thing is this. Third thing that you need to know about the Old Testament is that Jesus is in the Old Testament. He's just not called Jesus. He has different names all throughout the Bible. There's different ways that, like you call me Jeff, call me Dr. Bogue, call me Pastor Jeff, call me Daddy, call me, right? So I have a bunch of different titles. Jesus is kind of that way too, right? So he has different titles, different names. And so he's in the Old Testament. And in that process, he is, um, his birth, him stepping out of heaven, coming to earth, his birth is prophesied about hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years before it actually happens in the Old Testament. I'll tell you more about that in a minute. Okay, so those are three big things in the Old Testament. Now, in the New Testament, what happens is this. In the New Testament, the New Testament starts with the arrival of Jesus. So Matthew, Mark, Luke, John are, 
are different authors who write about the teachings and the miracles and the events of when Jesus was on earth, okay? And Matthew, Mark, Luke, John is where you get Christmas and Easter, all that is in there. After that, you're introduced to people that we call the apostles. The apostle, the word apostle just means messenger of God. And so it's the apostles, Paul, Peter, uh, John, like all these kinds. It's the apostles who write most of the New Testament on God's behalf. I'll explain that here more in a minute. And mostly what they're doing is they're telling people, helping people who have accepted Jesus as their savior, helping them to know how to follow him. So Jesus formed this spiritual entity called the church. So when we talk about church, we usually, you probably got up this morning, like, you guys wanna go to church and get breakfast? Or maybe you did the other way around. So what you meant was, do you wanna go to the building where the church gathers? So in the Bible, the church is not a building, the church is not a not-for-profit organization. The church is a spiritual entity of people who have been called out or who have decided to follow Jesus. So you are the church, we are the church, we're sitting in a building because it's freezing outside, and so we call it the church building, okay? So Jesus started the church, and most of the New Testament is the apostles helping the church to know how to follow Jesus' teachings and how to function as a spiritual community called the church. And that's the New Testament, okay? So those two pieces of the Bible are a big thing. And then when you open the Bible up, or even when you read it online, there's chapters and verses that, like, I just opened up to Luke chapter 8, okay? And you'll hear me talk about this when we, when we teach here. So I'll say Luke chapter 8. Uh, in your Bible, if you look through it, there's big numbers and small numbers. The big numbers are the chapter numbers. The small numbers are the verses, okay? So I might say, go to Luke chapter 8, verse 7, right? There is nothing spiritual about those numbers in the Bible. That's pastors and scholars helping to organize the Bible in such a way that when we talk about it publicly, we can quickly find the same thing and look at it. It's a lot better than, uh, hey, turn to that one page and start reading until you find this word. That's what would happen if there weren't chapters and numbers in the Bible, okay? So those came along later on, nothing spiritual about them. That's just kind of reference points. But when I say, if I were to say, hey, everybody open your Bibles to Luke chapter 8, and let's look at verse 7. That's how you would function through your Bible. And most of your Bibles have tables of contents, and if you're using an electronic version, you just punch it all in, and it'll come up in that way, okay? Now, that's the Bible. Now, here's, here's what happens when you, when you start talking about the Bible. If you're a thinking person, and, and I'm sure that all of us are, you would ask a question similar to this. Great, Jeff, got it, the Bible, that's terrific. Isn't the Bible one of many spiritual books? many religious books? And the answer to that is yes. Isn't the Quran a spiritual book, a religious book? Yep. Isn't the Book of Mormon a, a religious book, a spiritual book? Yep, it is. What about the Hindu writings? What about the sayings of Confucius or Buddhist writings or on and on and on? Are, isn't it like one of many spiritual books? And isn't the Bible just the biggest book because the Europeans got a hold of it and they dominated the world and so they took it? I mean, it, it, come on, let's just be honest about it. Isn't the way that that works? What is different about the Bible? Now, I would answer you honestly and I would say, well, a big chunk of what you're saying is true that the Bible is a book of faith, it is a spiritual book, and it is one of many spiritual books. 
There are also things that make the Bible very, very unique, and those things are very important to understand in order to, be, to help you place your faith in the Bible. So there's ways that the Bible is different than other spiritual books, and those ways orient around the idea that much of the Bible is provable. And when you look at the Bible and you take it through kind of an academic rigor and say, well, does it pass this academic test and this one and this one and this one? The Bible will pass those things with flying colors. And it's very, very unique than other books. So for instance, about 27% of the Bible is what's called prophecy. And so it's the Bible predicting the future or telling what's gonna happen into the future. So you could look and say, well, other books do that, that's true. Other spiritual books do that, that's true. Nostradamus did that, that's absolutely true. Why is the Bible different? Because much of the prophecy in the Bible has been proven historically accurate already. So there are prophecies in the Bible that have yet to happen. They're, they're gonna happen into the future and we believe those prophecies. Jesus is gonna come back, those kind of things. But there's a big chunk of the Bible that it's documented historically as a prophecy and then documented as it being fulfilled later on. Let me give you a for instance. Jesus is a for instance. Nobody on the planet disagrees that Jesus existed. Nobody does that. Nobody disagrees that Jesus is the most pivotal historical figure in the history of humanity. No, nobody with any intellectual honesty remotely disagrees with that. Now, you may disagree that he's God. That's a different conversation. But everybody agrees that of who he is. It's fascinating how the Bible addressed that. So like way back in the book of Isaiah, probably six to 700 years before Jesus was born, the Bible made certain prophecies about Jesus being born. Now you gotta remember, Jesus is not a king. This isn't like the royal family having a baby or it's not like a president, like you know, President Obama. You know, like, uh, he's not this big historical figure. Jesus is born to a, a, a poor working class family in the middle of nowhere. It's like the ancient equivalent of like Doylestown, right? It just, I know, I know, whatever. So like Jesus is born to a poor working class family in Doylestown. Hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years beforehand, the Bible says, you know what? He's going to be born in a place like that. He is, there's gonna be a star that appears when he's born. By the way, uh, Chinese and Arab astronomers recorded the star of Bethlehem. And so there's gonna be this star, right? Wise men are gonna come see him. Uh, he's gonna be wrapped in swaddling clothes, which is a burial cloth, right? Hundred very specific things are prophesied, and then they happen in very specific ways to a nobody. Right? So the people that uh, Mary, Joseph, and the people surrounding Jesus, they didn't know, the, they didn't know all that in detail, okay? because they're not like these highly educated people, and yet it's fulfilled, it's historically documented. Uh, Jesus' death is another example. The Bible, way back in the Old Testament, the Bible says, when, he died, when the Messiah dies, he's going to be sold for 30 pieces of silver. That happened, it's historically documented. And, and it could go on and on and on and on. So the Bible is unique. You, don't, you can't do that. Nostradamus is like, one day in the year of the eagle, 
a thing will happen to a guy concerning an issue that will cause a result that will be dynamically diverse if it applies to you, right? It's not that kind of a prophecy, right? It's a very specific thing that you can document the prophecy, you can document the beginning. Here's the second thing. There is, there is archeological documentation of the reliability and credibility of the scripture. This is different than, it, it's where the Bible's not just spiritual thoughts, it's different. So for instance, uh, a guy named Nelson Gludick, who is a world-renowned archeologist, he actually was on the cover of Time Magazine a few years ago, is considered one of the greatest archeologists of our times. He said this, he said, this is his quote, quote, no, archeolo no archeological discovery has ever overturned a biblical reference Sources, uh, scores of archaeological findings have been made which confirm in clear outline or in exact detail historical statements in the Bible. And by the same token, proper evaluation of biblical descriptions have often led to amazing discoveries, end quote. So one of the greatest archaeologists of our time would say, yeah, when I'm digging for stuff, I read the Bible first. And when I find stuff... Like, it confirms it. Now, this isn't like 1831 this has happened. So, for instance, in the 1990s, the existence of the Hittites was proven through archaeology. No, that was a great argument against the credibility of the Scripture. There's no Hittites, because they're all through the Old Testament. No Hittites. Well, suddenly, like, we dig up some rocks, there's Hittites. And so there's a provability to it, right? And you can trust it that way. Another example of this is extra biblical writings. So j just with Jesus, just with Jesus, there are over 30 sources outside of the Bible, Jewish, Roman, other historical documents that, uh, that were written within 150 years of Jesus' uh, life. So that's a, actually a short time window uh, historically. Uh, that attests to more than 100 facts regarding Jesus' life, teaching, crucifixion, and resurrection. So, for instance, there's, there's Roman historians, there's a Jewish historian named Josephus. They write about Jesus' resurrection as fact. That's a big deal because the Romans and the Jews at the time were the ones who wanted him dead. So, th this isn't like his friends writing about it. This would be like the official state enemies of Jesus documenting, like we killed that guy and he got up again, okay? And that's all through extra It's That's unique. You don't get that with the Book of Mormon or with the Koran. It's, it's a different thing. And then the last thing I just put down here quickly is that the Bible has amazing scientific accuracy. So for instance, the Bible before telescopes and before satellites, the Bible wrote about the shape of the earth, maybe as if the creator of the earth passed that down. Uh, the Bible wrote about the earth rotating around the sun, right? That, that's, that's in the Bible long before we made that discovery somewhere else. The Bible wa uh, writes about the deep workings of the deep oceans. So before submersibles was around, that science, so to say, is in the Bible. The Bible gives accurate health guidelines. It's funny right now, all the nutrition people are like, you know what diet we should follow? The one in the Bible, right? Because God created the body, knows how it works a little bit. And the Bible gives actually some, uh, some correct insights to the biology of the human body. 
So before MRIs, all that kind of stuff, the Bible sp speaks about those kind of things. So it's, it's unique in those ways. Is it a book of faith, spiritual book? Absolutely. But it has these other things that other books don't have. That's part of why it's the most read, published, sold book in the history of humanity because it's, it's trusted on so many levels. Now, this is what I did. We could, I could go on and on about this literally for six months, right? It, the evidence is so overwhelming. So instead of doing that, in your app, on the, the Grace Church app, I put some web links in it. If you wanna, if you wanna go nerd out on this stuff, you know, you will feast on all this information we put in there. So some of the things are up on the screens, it's in the app, and I just put in the websites, and you can go to town and find all these things, because there's, there's gobs of it, okay? And do that research on your own if, if you wanna do that. My point is that when I'm trying to decide whether I should trust the Bible or not, it's way more than like a feeling, it's way more than like a I was raised in a, a, a Christian tradition instead of an Islamic tradition. That there are, there are kind of cognitive, scientific, external things that I can look at and say, hmm, this book's different. It's different than these other things. And, and it, it will cause me to look at it with a different level of credibility and a different level of interest, okay? Now, I can tell you all that stuff and you can go geek out on these websites all that you want. But if you were a thinking person and you look back at me and said, Jeff, like I, 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 get all that, I get all that you're saying, but doesn't it actually boil down? Like, I know you can prove Jesus existed, but, can, but is he God? I mean, come on, that's a different thing. It, 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 is that really what we're talking that, that, that is a faith thing to believe that Jesus is God. I'll believe that he exists. I, I know that you can prove that the Hittites, they existed, but that God knocked down the walls of Jericho, that's like a different thing, right? And I would actually look at you and I would say, you know what? You are right. You are right. When it comes to our relationship with God and it comes to our belief in Jesus Christ, we're going to understand that from the Bible. Okay, that's the starting point of it. But I would say this, the Bible must be accepted on the basis of faith. That's absolutely true. When it comes to my relationship with God, my relationship with God is rooted in faith. It's not rooted in science, it's not rooted in archeology, span it's not rooted in history, it's rooted in faith. And if you push back a little bit and said, so you just, you want me to have faith and believe that the Bible is true, I would say that's right. That in order to interact with God, the way that God says in the Bible that he wants to be interacted with, we must accept by faith that the Bible is the actual words of God. It is a faith decision at its very, very core. That when we read the Bible, we're reading the words of God. Now, this is what the Bible says about itself. It's what the writers of the Bible say. So for instance, the Apostle Paul says this. Now the Apostle Paul is not like a, a chump. So the Apostle Paul is a Pharisee. The Apostle Paul would have had the ancient equivalent of a PhD, hyper highly educated guy, wealthy guy. And the Apostle Paul says this in 2 Timothy 3. He says, all scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness. So Apostle Paul looks and says, listen, the Bible 
is breathed out. The Greek word for that is another way to say that it's, it's inspired by God. So the Bible comes from God is what the Apostle Paul would say. Uh, the Apostle Peter, right? Now, Peter, again, it's not a jump. Peter is a, is a kind of a blue-collar guy, but he's a business owner. He owned a, a, a fleet of fishing vessels. So he, this is, he's kind of an earthy guy. He doesn't just, you know, blindly believe things. He doesn't have his head in the clouds. But the Apostle Peter wrote this about the Bible. He said, no prophecy of Scripture came about by the prophet's own interpretation of things. For prophecy never had its origin in human will, but prophets, though human, spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. What he's saying is this. this is, and this, by the way, this is what a Christian believes. A Christian would look and say, the Bible is not from humans, though it was written by humans. So that what we believe is that God, through his Holy Spirit, spoke to the Apostle Peter, for instance, who just said that, and in essence said, I want you to write down and record these things, but I want you to do it through the human experience so that it makes sense to human beings, okay? So I'm speaking to you, I'm carried along, is how he says it, by the, by the Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit's directing me what to say, they're the words of God, but they're brought through human history, through the human experience, through the human eye, so that when human beings read it, we can understand the heart and the mind of God. Now, you would look at me as a thinking person and say, well, Jeff, that's a step of faith. I mean, the history and all that, like, good for you, you can prove it. But now you're asking me to believe that God supernaturally wrote a book. Now, I, I would look at you and say, I'm not sure that's any harder to believe than like Jesus rose again from the dead or that there was a virgin birth or that uh, this guy got his ear cut off and Jesus put, put, put back on or he multiplied the fish and loaves. One miracle is another miracle. But yes, that's what I'm asking you to, to believe, that, that you would do that. Now, this is what happens. In our culture today, that idea that you would believe that the Bible is inspired by God, breathed out by God, given by God, is kind of made fun of. And there's, a, there's an elitist mindset that would say this, that would say, only old-fashioned, simple people believe that. You're clinging to your religion and clinging to your Bible. You probably shop at Walmart. What next? You know, and, and only simple people believe that. And, and to have faith is dumb. You, you have to, if you can't see it, touch it, measure it, then it doesn't exist. To have faith is dumb. So for you to place your faith in something like the Bible is written by God or that Jesus is God makes you a simpleton. And I would push back on that a little bit and I would say this. Every human being builds their life on something and because of that, faith is normal and unavoidable in life. Having faith in something is not a extra step that you make in your life. Having faith in something is how you live every day. There is nothing at all unusual or weird about having faith. You live by faith. Faith is believing in, in what I cannot see and cannot, uh, uh, cannot understand and knowing that I never fully will, right? So I, every time I enter into any kind of a human relationship, I have faith. 
When I married Heidi, I stepped into that relationship by faith. When I get on an airplane, I by faith trust that pilot. I don't know him. I don't understand him. I don't know the machine. I don't understand the machine. I just figure Delta's got a handle, right? So we live by faith all the time. There, there's some that would say, well, I'm an atheist. I don't even believe in God. That, that's fine if you're an atheist. That's a faith decision. It, it took you as much faith to disbelieve God as it takes me to believe God. Well, I've got all these evidences that God doesn't exist. You don't have any more evidence that God doesn't exist than I have that God does exist. So our evidence is going to cancel each other out. I can, I can have that argument with you all day long, right? The bottom line is you are placing your faith in a belief system, and so am I. Uh, you may be a humanist. A humanist basically trusts themselves. I, I just collect my, I just kind of believe a little bit of everything. That's great. You can do whatever you want, right? But the bottom line is you, you are excluding things in order to believe things, which is the exact same thing I'm doing. I'm excluding things in order to believe things. We are both acting on faith. So having faith is not the right question. What I place my faith in is the question. And, and when, when you are placing your faith in something, there's two things that you gotta ask. We, we ask this intuitively. I'm just gonna put it out in front of us, but this is how we, we function. When, when I put my faith in something, what I'm doing is I'm saying this. Is what I'm placing my faith in trustworthy? That's question number one. Question number two is, and what is the potential outcome? Is it worth putting my faith in it? So is what I'm placing my faith in trustworthy, and is it worth putting my faith in it? So when I married Heidi, when Heidi and I got married 24 years ago almost, right, I looked and I said, is this relationship trustworthy? Do I trust it? Right? Yes or no? Yes. And what is the potential outcome worth it? Yes. We had no idea what the next 24 years holds, but by faith... I said, I do, and Heidi said, all right, right? So uh, by faith, and then we went on this journey together, a faith journey, okay? And we just made a decision, but we measured it that way. When I, when I get on Delta, I look at all these, say, the pilot, the plane, everything, I don't understand, never will, don't even really care to, and I say, I is it trustworthy? Yes. What's the potential outcome? I get to where I want to go fast, Right? So I, make a faith, I get on to something that I don't understand. Can't. That's all faith is. It's not whether you have it or not. You have faith. Everybody does. You, you literally can't live as a human being without faith. It's is it trustworthy or not? So I want you to think of it this way. So let's take these two things here, okay? So let's pretend that both of these things are faith. And, and there, there are our religious faith. So I'm going to look at one, and I'm going to say this, this basket is my faith basket. What should I hook this basket to? And I'm going to look at what I hook it to and ask those two questions. Is what I hook this to trustworthy? So this basket is hooked to 2,000-pound aircraft cable. This cable is known. It's historically proven. Millions and millions of people every day 
attach their lives to this cable when you get on an airplane. This cable has been tested. This cable passed certain academic rigors. Uh, this cable is known. Uh, people that I know who have studied cable tell me that this is high quality cable. It can be trusted. And, it, and this, this latch and these things, everything about this is absolutely something that I can lock my life onto. And so I'm going to look at this and say, is this trustworthy and what's the potential outcome? Will this take me up there, right? Can I trust it? 2,000 pounds steel aircraft cable, do I trust it? Now this is rope that we bought at Walmart. That's what this is, okay? And I'm gonna take this and I'm gonna put this through the same sets of tests, if I can figure out how to lift it, right? And so I'm gonna look and I'm gonna say, same thing. It looks a lot like the cable. I mean, they both go up, right? It's, a t it's got some of the same stuff. It's got this clamp, that's got that clamp. It's got these stringers, that's got the stringers. I mean, they both got stringers. They're both woven together. This one's got threads on it. That one's kind of got threads on it. I mean, it's basically the same thing because all roads lead up, right? Now I'm going to make a faith decision. Should I trust this one or this one? Now, at first, I might say it doesn't really matter. All, we're just talking about going up. How complicated is it? So I'm going to take something that I value, which is my stuffed little puppy here. And I, know I, sleep, I sleep with this dog at night. Don't mock me, right? So, right, so I'm going to put my puppy in the basket. And I'm going to say, let's get, let's get the puppy up there. I mean, it's hang on, puppy. You can do it, right? And we're going to get the puppy up and say, see, it works. It's basically faith. Oops. Should have used a cat. So... <laughs> Right? And I'm gonna, but I'm gonna look, we're gonna laugh about it because it's not that big of a deal. And look, faith kind of did its job. Faith is supposed to kind of make us feel good. It kind of fill us up a little bit. It kind of did its job, right? Now, for the Christian, we don't believe that this is a lighthearted decision. We believe that our eternal souls are at stake. So we'll laugh about this thing, it's funny, it's no big deal. But what happens if you change the stakes? What happens if you raise it to actual life and death? What if instead of my stuffed little puppy, what if we use this guy? Right? And we're going to put his life at risk. Let's see if it works. Okay, so we're just going to shove this little guy in here and, oh, wait a minute. Why are you reacting so strongly? Why, why did we suddenly go from being passive to being passionate? Why, why is this now a really big deal? If I were willing to risk this puppy, which faith would you want me to risk him in? So you would look and say, well, no, this... This one's balanced, this one's strong, this one's provable. Don't put him in that contraption. And when someone's life is at stake, everything shifts dramatically, right? Okay. Thanks, Tiffany. Now, all a Christian believes is this. If you looked at me and said, so Jeff, you're telling me 
I'm supposed to believe in something I can't touch, feel, or understand, have faith in it. That's what you want me to do. I would look at you and I would say, kind of. I would say, you already believe in things you can't touch, feel, and understand. Tell me why it's logical that you love your kids. Tell me why it's logical that you have dreams of, of tomorrow when you have absolutely no understanding of why, what's gonna happen. Tell me why it's logical that you, you would dream of attaching your life to one person falling in love. None of that makes sense. Those are all faith-based. So I'm saying you, you already do that. You already have a spiritual system. You've already. So I'm not asking you to do something you don't do. I'm asking you to consider the trustworthiness of that faith system and the potential outcome. See, if you're an atheist and you're right, great. If I'm a Christian and I'm wrong and you're right, we both wind up in the dirt. If you're an atheist and you're wrong, see, the potential outcome shifts. And if a real life, your life, your children's life is actually at stake, the conversation changes completely. I'm not asking you to have faith. You already have it. I don't need to ask you that. I'm asking you to just consider the Bible. All a Christian believes is this. A Christian believes that the Bible is the words of God and that the words of God should be received with the authority and the insight that would come from them coming from God. That's it. Therefore, when we look at the Bible and believe it's, we choose to believe, it's a step of faith, absolutely. We choose to believe it's the words of God. We believe then that the God of the Bible is God. And that any other deity or any other God that's defined or praised outside of the Bible is not the real God, that the real God is the God of the Bible. And what happens is this. You cannot know Jesus if you don't know the Bible. And you cannot know the Bible without winding up knowing Jesus. Because the Bible's gonna to point to one place. So we've chosen to believe that. And through that then, because we've chosen to believe that, we've chosen to believe that what the Bible says is true, accurate, inspired by God, and complete. We've chosen to believe that. Therefore, when the Bible says that Jesus is God, we believe it. And we place our faith in the God of the Bible. Now, I'm not asking you to believe that. I'm not asking you to convert to Christianity. I'm not asking you to change your life. I'm not asking you to do any of that stuff. This is all I'm asking. <clears throat> I'm asking you for a fair hearing. If you're on the fence or you're not sure or you're mixed up or you're skeptical, I don't, I'm not asking you to do a thing. Right? Those are your decisions, not mine. We don't, we don't play like that here at Grace. This is not our style. What I'm asking is, can we have the conversation? And would you consider for the next semester having, coming from the assumption 
that the Bible is the Word of God. And if we started with that assumption, with an open heart and open mind, what would the Bible tell us? And with an open heart and open mind, just hearing what the Bible would say, and then what will happen is at the end of the semester, all those cards are on the table, and then you play them however you want. Right? That's, the way that it, that's the way that it works. Uh, true Christianity does not cause converts by the tip of the spear. It's not the way we roll. It's not the way Jesus rolled. In fact, the one time one of his disciples did it, Jesus rebuked him and healed the guy he cut. Okay? But the consideration that the Bible is true, the God of the Bible is who the Bible says that he is, would you consider working off of that assumption as we think this through together? Now, for those of us who are Christ followers, remember how I said a lot of times, you know what, we don't know why. A lot of you were raised in a situation where you're like, the Bible's the word of God. You're like, I believe it. But, but, but you, you don't really know why. In fact, you would say, this, this is real. Come on. Like we almost get political with it. Come on, dummy. Everybody knows the Bible is it. And you'll kind of say the what, but you don't know the why, and this is what happens. You might know the right answer, but you'll demonstrate you, that you actually don't believe that the Bible is the word of God by your refusal to adhere to certain parts of it. So what happens is you'll look and say, well, the Bible says this, I'm not doing that. Well, really? That's how you're going to respond to the God? So you don't actually believe it. In a pragmatic way, you don't believe it. I, I, you know, the, the Bible said, I don't believe the miraculous things in the Bible, the Noah's Ark and creation. And all, come on. I, why, is, why is like Noah's Ark crazy, but a guy raises himself from the dead isn't? Like, that's not even logical, that one supernatural thing is so weird than another one. So for those of us who were raised in this tradition, the next semester might be you looking and saying, you know, if I received the Bible actually as the word of God, and I allow the Bible to affect my life in that way, how might that change me and how I function to live? And so that's what I would ask you to consider. Again, I'm not really asking you to do anything, right? You know, you know, you know, of course you don't have to do anything. I'm not really asking you to do anything. I'm just saying, like, if we really opened our mind and opened our hearts and gave God the fair hearing, how might that change our understanding of him and how we interact with him, okay? All right. So what we're going to do, I'm going to ask the band to come out, and they'll, they'll create a little space for us. And I just encourage you to think. You may be locked into all of this fully, and maybe you want to pray for yourself, for a friend, or whoever. For the rest of us, you may just want to think and be open to those things. And what the band will do is they'll, they'll uh, lead us in some music and give us some time. And I just encourage you guys to take advantage of this. We run around like crazy people. So part of the reason why we're like, church was so deep, part of the reason why we think about that is because we stopped and like thought about something for a minute, that's all. So that's what I want us to do here these last few minutes. Let's just think, be open, consider, and, and see, right? See if there's, a, if there's a different way to approach these questions. All right, Jesus, we love you. Help us with this. Uh, take us through every step of this, God. Uh, cognitively in our brains and then in the recesses of our hearts and soul. And uh, God, let us see your word and your heart and our response to it in a new and fresh way. 
Lead us in those ways, Jesus, in your name, amen.